and welcome to the second episode of the official Copper and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Preston Hopkinson. Joining me, as always, are my wonderful co-hosts, Shona Hickmore and uh, Corey Travers. Shona, I hope I got your last name right there. It's the first time you I've did. ever seen it. did. My last name uh, the one you can, like, phonetically figure out. Awesome. Perfect. So we're already off to a great start. Corey, how are you doing today? Hey, man. Really good. How about yourself? Oh, I'm doing awesome. Well, I would be doing better if the Oilers uh, won against Vancouver over the weekend. They dropped a 2-1 decision uh, with a questionable goal against, I would say. Uh, What are your guys' thoughts on that last game? Yeah, I mean, I think you summed it up perfectly. Uh, They played really well. I was a fan of, in general, of how they played. Like, defensively, it was one of their better games of the season, probably. Um, Offensively, I felt like they were generating chances. Demko was just really good. Uh, that uh, first out, I mean, that was a we can all, all agree on that. I don't know whether it's podcast, no one's gonna say that, that was a, a nice goal or a, a deserving goal or anything, but uh, yeah, that's my thoughts there. Yeah, I think Vancouver didn't look like they had their um, like the, the ability throughout the game to carry through on, on, on a particular plan, like they would obviously they had moments where they could keep everything together and get things rolling, but they didn't have that consistently. So it is a little disappointing. Um, I guess since I got the three wins in Ottawa, bad team, and uh, I just decided that I got for this week and, you know, Vancouver playing poorly meant that (laughs) it's time to, you know, (laughs) take one for the team, but uh, they, uh, they definitely, I feel like looked better throughout the game than the scoreline you know, and the um, results seem to indicate. But, I mean, you have those games where, you know, for whatever reason, it just doesn't go in the net. Or, you know, you're playing great and, and the goalie's hot, right? So Yeah, for sure. Um, I felt like Leon Dreisaitl had one of his best games against Vancouver over the weekend. He looked dangerous all night long. Um, he had that fantastic uh, power play goal, of course, fed from McDavid in his patented one-timer spot on that power play. So it was no oh. surprise when it went in. Yeah, he looked really good. Um, even the second line, like there was this, I don't know, second or third period, can't remember, getting old, um, <laughs> where the second line was out. I don't know if they were on the power play or not, but Puyarvi was shooting, falling down, and like the open net, and it just didn't go. And I was just like, <sighs> right? So you I thought what? that a lot of them looked really um, on their game, like dry you know was obviously next level on his game, but a lot of them looks like they were, um, more comfortable with their line mates, more comfortable on the ice, more comfortable with the systems, even maybe thought it was a good look. Yeah. I mean, except the puck not going in the net. That look <laughs> that, I didn't like. That wasn't great. Didn't like that. Um, you know what though? I think we were due for a bad loss. Of course we're seven and zero against Ottawa. We just had three uh, consecutive wins against Ottawa there's going to be a stinker thrown in here at some point. It's just, we can't, we can't have nice things here in Edmonton for a prolonged period of time. Um, Speaking of that game a little bit more, um, one of the hot topics on Oilers, the the Oilers Twittersphere has been Tyson Berry. There was a play, I believe in the last minute there where Berry opted to take the kind of the, the riskier point shot through a bunch of bodies instead of deferring to Dreisaitl. And when he let that shot off, Dreisaitl let out uh, Pretty visible uh, motion of frustration there. So I want to talk about Tyson Berry a little bit on today's podcast. Is he as good as we think he is? For me personally, he's a great offensive guy, sure. 
he's he's getting the points. You can't you can't really complain about the points he's putting up. But overall, I I just don't think he's as great as the media is trying to make him out to be. What were your guys' thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd uh I'd probably agree with a lot of that. I I'd say he is a good offensive defenseman. He's the kind of guy who can can join the rush. He can pinch and actually like get like a, a, a decent scoring chance. Like I feel like well, other guys may be similarly good uh, to him at driving play on the Oilers blue line. He's actually one of the better defensemen at actually creating dangerous chances in the offensive zone, which is kind of his skill. Uh, but he's not head and shoulders better than the second and third pairing defensemen on the Oilers, I don't think, at, at even strength. Uh, he's a pretty good power play guy. Uh but I don't know if he necessarily needs to be part of the Oilers' long-term plans with guys like Bouchard and possibly Bear as younger guys who could who could fill into that spot in the future. So, like, I think it was a great move to sign him for you know not very much money. But I don't think we have to re-sign him for 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 big money. Definitely. I don't know. I'm split on Barry in that I know like he he's got the offensive upside and he's got experience and he brings a different kind of mentality you know just by being new to the team but at the same time like you're starting to see these pieces um where maybe he doesn't fit the Oilers system as well as he could like you know this um pass or shooting instead of passing and like okay um all things considered if you've got a clear or you know you've got a good angle on it you think you can you know um, make a good shot, shoot, by all means shoot, like, um, but don't shoot, um, just to be shooting. So like, if you think defer, if deferring or, you know, passing is a better option to get a, an actual high value chance on goal, then do that. And like, I'm not sure, like overall that maybe his own frustration with not fitting, um, fitting in and being able to be, because like, let's be honest, uh, Oilers media is Oilers media, us included, where we run hot and cold on players. So there were people who, there are people who are um, in love with Tyson Berry and what he brings to the Oilers and people that think that it was a waste of cap space and it, it, he's undeserved, you know, he's undeserving of the position he's in, right? Um, so I think that I've always thought that being a, a NHL hockey player in like a city like Edmonton, or anywhere where it's this huge thing, it's got to be uh, difficult. So, like, I don't want to throw him under the bus. In that, there's probably a lot of pressures he's feeling from both the media, the fans, um, and within the organization to come in and produce points and really be a defensive leader. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure that he's actually the the guy for that. Like, um, I'm not sure that his systems and his way of doing things like you said, Corey, are a good long-term fit for the Oilers. So I feel a little bad for him. We've put him, he's been put in this position where I don't think there's winning for him. Like he could go out and score um, a goal every game. And we'd have people saying, you know, we need defensemen who can defend, you know, we don't need these offensive defensemen who can drive the play up the ice. Right. And then if he didn't do it, like we saw it earlier this year, no offensive production for a bit talking about how defensively weak he is. So like, I always feel a little bad for, you know, you watch it, even like um, players like uh, McDavid and, and Dreisaitl, like 
you we were saying last week, you know, like no scoring or whatever, and the media gets kind of vicious. So I feel bad for Barry is the uh, the major takeaway. But I don't think I don't think he's like Corey. I don't think he's a long term fit for the Oilers just because he's not right. Yeah, well, yeah. he was always and, supposed okay. to be that uh, that one year rental. I think he had a bad year in Toronto last year. He wasn't as valuable as he could have been, so he came to Edmonton, who he knew he could uh, line up some points with Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on the power plane. Yeah, that's what he's been doing, and it's been good so far. But we have to be rational about this. We have guys like Evan Bouchard, Ethan Bear, Caleb Jones, who are showing potential to be what Barry is right now at a younger and cheaper price. I don't think we should overreact and give him like a six-year, six-by-six contract. Right? Oilers standard. Well, it's a Shirelli guarantee, right? Oh, I guess Ken Holland too, if you look at the Zach Cassian deal, which isn't that great. But yeah, he's I'm not ragging on him at all. He's 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 been fine for what he what he's uh accomplished so far in the role he's been playing. But like you guys said, let's be let's be responsible about this. We've thrown money at guys before. Let's kind of give our young guys a little bit more of a chance because yeah. they've looked good. They've had better underlying numbers. It just it just doesn't make sense to to keep Barry at a at a high price. Yeah. And I, one thing I, I want to say too, that I don't know if I clarified, I hope, I hope I did earlier is that he's played really well. And if there wasn't a lot of mainstream Oilers media saying that like he needs to get a big contract. And if like, if the salary cap wasn't a thing, like we're not even talking about him like this, we were just saying, Hey, look how good Tyson's Barry has been this year, but we're kind of railing against that when we're, when we're putting on the brakes a little bit. So Overall, like I'm very happy with Tyson Berry. I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound uh, like I'm that's, piling that's the, on or anything. That's the croup of being a, a player in the Oilers system, right? You've got uh, like those two really strong polar opposites, where someone pulls, like the media pulls, like, "Oh, give him a contract, six by six now, lock him up," right? And then everyone else is like, "Whoa, hold your horses! Like he's not that good," right? So. Exactly. Yeah, and another defenseman we're seeing some uh, split opinions on lately, Ethan Bear. Uh, the news of the week with Ethan, Ethan Bear is that Bob Stoffer was trying to trade him to Boston for Jake DeBrusque. Bad idea, right away, right off the bat. I don't think I should even have to give explanation on why this is a bad idea. Jake DeBrusque has been struggling in Boston. Ethan Bear, arguably our best defenseman last season, he struggled a bit out of the gate this year, but he's still a young, great defenseman. Um, I hope you guys agree with me. Is, is this not obvious to everyone else? Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, Ethan Bear at worst has been like our third best defenseman this year after being arguably our best, like you said last year. So yeah, I mean, he's, he's good. I don't see why we're trying to trade him away from a guy who, like you said, has been struggling in Boston. This is Oilers typical uh, as well. You're not going to get on, a Corey. lot for Ethan Bear right now, but that like, why would you even think about trading him? Because he's a good player. If you hold on to him, he might actually turn into something. Well, that's why there's typical, right? Like um, we have that, uh, or we have in the past, hopefully we don't carry it forward, that um, first rocky patch in the road and you've got people like uh, trading everybody in there, you know, but the only person that they're not going to trade is freaking uh, Connor McDavid. Like I swear we had, um, after Leon Dreisaitl got sent down that um, that first year he was up, went back to Kelowna, we had people saying, oh, like, what shouldn't we, like, you know, he couldn't hack it. Shouldn't we try to, like, capitalize on this and trade him, you know, for maybe picks or prospects or, you know, and now you've got him as, like, an MVP and, you know, 
part of the court of the Oilers rebuild. So like we've got um, as a fan base, a tendency and a media based a tendency to like throw the baby out with the bathwater. The first time something bad happens, we're like, trade him, trade him. You know, the only one good thing I could see about getting Jake DeBrusque, which I don't want, thank you before you, either of you talk is that maybe I don't have to have Louis DeBrusque on so quite so many Oilers broadcasts, you know, wouldn't that be a conflict of interest? <laughs> you know, less annoying people, uh, less annoying talking heads at me would be an amazing bonus, but I don't think it would happen anyway. Um, I mean, Jake DeBrusque is a solid player. Like he did his junior out in Swift Current, I think. Um, pain in the ass team that they are um when he was there but they're um like you said Preston he's struggling in Boston like and that could just be a Boston system thing but that doesn't mean that you trade you know one potential you know you know you don't this isn't a relocation to give both people a fresh start trade because um Ethan Bear is nowhere at that point where he's you know you're you've decided he can't play within the Oilers system like if we'd had two years of Ethan Bear struggling to play in the Oilers system, I'd say, give it a go. Like this system obviously doesn't work for him. Like give them both an opportunity, you know, to get a fresh start and see what they can do. But you've had a couple months at worst of Ethan Bear struggling in a really difficult time and in a shortened season. So like really to be pulling the trigger on any sort of like developmental trades with everything that's happened in the last year seems kind of reactionary to me right yeah and that's the exact that's the thing that they need to avoid is being reactionary um it's i find it funny that this is coming from a guy bob Stoffer, who who has been one of the main proponents of wait till these defensemen play like 270 games he was on this about nurse when nurse was struggling years ago um, wait till he gets this many games defensemen take a while to grow but now he's just made this decision up on ethan bear so quickly where it's just like well what about this logic that you put with nurse why aren't you putting it towards ethan bear it also requires consistency from the others media preston we also don't believe in that well last year or last week you learned that we don't uh, we don't embrace logic this week you're gonna learn we don't embrace consistency (laughs) my theory is probably overly simple here but i just feel like if ethan bear is four or five inches taller like it's not it's not an issue yeah he's here 100 if he's just a tiny bit taller right yeah i agree with that i think that's a good uh a good uh way to sum up the edmonton's kind of preference of players the taller and the heavier you are the more likely you're going to stick around beyond the good side of the fan base and media well, i don't know that always strikes me as odd because they've got some really tall heavy players that can't freaking you know get back when they need them mm-hmm. you know there's no foot speed there but then we uh we complain about how you know we can get back we use a smaller, slightly, you know, fleeter of foot gun. Ethan Bear? <laughs> no, no, you know, like, you know, your defensemen can't get back fast enough. They're, they're leaving openings. Like, this was one of the big arguments for why we don't need offensive defensemen, wasn't it? That, like, our guys go up and they can't get back. They can't do the back check in time, you know? Okay. Get a smaller, faster defenseman. Ooh. Well, then that, that smaller, faster defenseman is going to get plastered on the boards once, and then it's going to be like, well, he can't handle himself in his own zone. Well, to be fair, I also feel like Yamamoto's working on. Uh, um, oh, he's bucking that stereotype. Oh, I know, sure. but he's he's like I worry for him. He's so slight and just like 
I watched him play junior and he was just like two steps faster than everyone. I was like, oh, you're safe. Good, good. You're not going to get creamed. And then I watched him in the NHL. I'm like, you're not faster. You're going to die. <laughs> right? Oh, I know. So Every time. So he's I, like a, a player that opposing teams line up all the time, but he doesn't get hit as often as you might think. So no, um, I know. I just, I, I think it's one of those things where you just look at him and you're just like, oh, all it's going to take is one really good hit. Oh, please don't get it. Right. Yeah. So like, I understand that, that fear, but I also understand like if you've um, elected to have a career in the NHL as a professional hockey player, you've probably already accepted that you're going to get hit. Right. Mm-hmm. Like um, please wear your safety equipment properly and, you know, don't be chewing on your mouth guard and whatever to help reduce your potential for concussions but you that's kind of like you know the whatever you go the job safety you know the job hazards of um nhl play hit by a really big guy going fast on uh knife shoes check right <laughs> like yeah absolutely kind of kind of sticking on to that yamamoto thing um is it time to break up the car mcdavid and leon dry line this is going to be a question we're going to have all season as long as they're together. They've looked really good. <laughs> and when they're obviously. not together, we'll have the, is it time to put Connor and McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl back on a line question? <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a question that goes back and forth for as long as these two are on the team, which I hope is a very long time. They looked good last game. They, they, they had a bunch of chances. They had that one goal and they were, they were just buzzing around the ice all night long. Um, I don't think it is time to split them up mainly because I think that second line of Nugent Hopkins, Ennis, and uh, Puliarvi, they've looked good. Why split them up? If, if you can put Dreisaitl and McDavid on the same line and have that second line be just as dangerous, by all means, let's keep it going, right? Yeah, I, uh, I actually agree with that, um, even though I know last week on the podcast I said maybe you should break them up, but uh, I changed my, my mind a lot. Uh, but yeah, no. It's those, those blowout victories against Ottawa, isn't it, Corey? Exactly. exactly. <laughs> but no, they've been absolutely killing it, and not just against Ottawa. I thought they had a really good game last night against Vancouver. Um, I mean, obviously, Drysaddle scored the only goal of the game. It was on the power play, so it doesn't really, uh, you know, show how good they were at five on five. But they were really good at five on five. I thought they had a lot of dangerous chances. They're not getting caved in defensively at all, which is kind of a concern when you play them together. Uh, and they've done so well. And I, I wrote about this once on the site, actually, that uh, it's kind of like a basketball theory where uh, in basketball, unlike hockey, both teams usually take about the same amount of shots. So you want to maximize the efficiency of all your shots. It's, it's like a real analytics uh, component to that. And so if you have Drysaddle and McDavid taking the majority of your team shots, you've got the guys with the two most, the two guys with the most shooting talent on the team and the two guys who most influence uh, shooting percentage via passing, uh, playing together, taking all the shots, you're more likely to have a higher shooting percentage. So I do really like that about them playing together. The only thing that when I, when I sometimes am of the opinion that they should be broken up is just because they're both so good in the neutral zone. And I feel like sometimes maybe playing together, they're, uh, zone entry skills can be a little redundant because McDavid's doing all of the neutral zone work and dry is just kind of coasting along there. Uh, whereas they can both like drive a line separately, but, but like Preston said, I feel like specifically with the emergence of Pugliarvi and how good he's been on that second line with Nugent Hopkins and now Ennis, 
you can you can afford to tread water when Drysidle and McDavid aren't on the ice because of how good those guys have been. And then when Drysidle and McDavid are on the ice together, they absolutely cave in the other team. So I'm loving that right now. I'd, I'd stick with it until it stops working. Yeah, I mean, you definitely stick with it. Um, I think they, they'll probably stick with it through their first game against Calgary and reassess after that. Um, see if like there's something that's not working or if there's something they need to switch. Like if that second line suddenly loses its mojo in the first game against Calgary, I bet that they get split up. But if it keeps rolling, I bet that they stay together. I think the thing with Dressel and McDavid that we don't talk about is a lot of whether or not they stay together depends on, you know, how the other three lines on the Oilers are doing, right? Because if those lines are struggling, you know, okay, you know, you have a superstar line, but you also know you need more than one superstar line. So what do you do, right? If you had, this is the thing, if the Oilers had like reliable second and, and even a reliable like third line that they knew they could count on to, to do good work all the time, then yeah, they'd be together all the time because they're just that dangerous. But, you know, we had this argument when they re-signed Dreisaitl, we heard it all the time. Like, why are we, why are we paying him this much money to be on Connor McDavid's wing when Connor McDavid's driving the play, right? So I think um, they'll always be bouncing back and forth. Um, between driving their own lines and like playing together depending on where the Oilers are um, and you know we'll hear uh, why aren't they together when they um, aren't together and why are they together when they are together it's just like being the two most visibly of you know visibly talented you know high profile players on this team they're they draw the most um, speculation and like just this that and the other so yeah, yeah. I think I think they'll stay together for a bit more. Like I said, if things go down the drain with Calgary, I think they'll break them up and try something new. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you made there about uh, not, not just the second line um, succeeding, but it seems like all four lines are, are offering something of, of note for the team right now. Um, the third line has been great. They had some extended uh, zone time against Vancouver. Um, and the fourth line has been fine. There's there was times where the all lines were. That's a fourth around. line compliment. It's been fine. It hasn't it's, been it's, 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 right. it's not it's not every day that the Edmonton Oilers have a good bottom six or even a decent fine bottom six. So the fact that we're getting it right now, it's surprising. It's of note for for the Edmonton Oilers fan base because that's such a rare thing. Um, I just like that the the the, the, the ultimate fourth line compliment they're doing fine there's nothing objectionably wrong here excellent not like you know if i don't notice producing, the fine they're no liability game, that's <laughs> good that's fine by me yeah, they're be better ready. than fine they're not the fourth line anymore so yeah True. well you know what Corey? Yeah. wouldn't it be fantastic though if the oilers had three you know fantastic lines and a better than fine fourth line well, are they like Team Canada now? Like that's that's a well, that's a lot to that ask for. That would be great, Shona. But we're the Edmonton <laughs> yeah. Oilers. We'll settle for a fine fourth line. We are going to be right we'll back after these. Shona, I'm trying to throw it to a break here, so don't you interrupt <laughs> me again. Uh, we're going to be right back after these uh, few messages. Um, when we come back, we're going to be talking all about the rumors that are surrounding the Oilers when it comes to the trade market. We got a lot of things coming up, so stick around. All right, we're back. Uh, Shona didn't interrupt me into that last break. 
finally we finally got the the go into the ads sorry i'm ragging <laughs> on you shona i'm better than the ads thank you Preston. we are better than the ads i guess i guess you could say that we're gonna go into a bit of a, a rumor season uh session here first off uh ken holland came out i believe it was last week and talked a little bit about his plans going into the trade deadline he said he liked the depth that the team had and he wouldn't be looking to add to that depth so that obviously leads to thinking that he's going to go big game hunting. He wants to find people who can make a difference. Obviously with the situation, it's going to make things a little bit more difficult with the quarantine period of players coming from the United States to Canada, but uh, Hey, he's open for business. He's looking for a deal. So where is he going to look to improve? What's your guys' thoughts? Hold on, on, hold on a second. Has he um, suddenly uh, acquired a bunch more cap to go big game hunting? Because yeah. that's one of the things that I... That's um, the problem as well. That's another problem. I, that's one of the things I think you have to think about, like, when you think about where he's going to look. It's like, you know, you want to go big game hunting and you don't have a lot of money to do it. And you've got a lot of money tied up in players you don't want to necessarily be trading. Like, I personally believe he doesn't want to trade Barry. Like, you know, he brought him in for a reason and he'd like to keep him through the end of the season, you know? So we'll see. But, like, unless you... Unless he... Unless he suddenly acquires some funds, I really don't see him being able to really go big game hunting. It's a costly endeavor, you know. It would be yeah, it'd be awesome if uh, you know they can pull some type of weird, you know, financial wizardry that other teams sometimes do, and I'm always really Oilers. impressed by. But the Oilers never really do stuff like that, uh, where hey, they were in cap trouble, but somehow you know they do a david clarkson type deal that that the least got out of trouble with um and then all of a sudden they're not in cap trouble and they and they can they can get somebody but yeah maybe let's look at this realistically and say they're probably not going to get like a like a taylor hall or someone like that even though i'm sure Definitely we all so disappointed. Hall, uh just with <laughs> with just because the money is unlikely to work out but how awesome would that be obviously um oh yeah Something That's like Taylor someone Hall like Eric Stahl might be, you know, a little bit more realistic. Uh, you know, I would love that as well. I mean, that's a guy who can lock down your your second line center. Um, you know, we've already got a pretty good second line center, even if uh, Trisaddle and, and McDavid are playing together with with Nugent Hopkins. But having talented players is is never a problem as long as you don't have to give up too much. And I don't think they would give up you know, a ridiculous amount to get a player like that. Uh, and, you know, even if they do have to give up a little bit of futures, like you, you have two guys who have won the MVP in the last few years. Uh, they're not going to be young forever. We do have to eventually go all in and try to win a Stanley cup in the near ish future. Do so, we? I mean, we, <laughs> we have to should. try. Well, McDavid <laughs> is, you know, I still a young man. He was at the top of his abilities uh, because if, you know, if his, his prime passes him and he's in his 30s and we haven't won anything, we'll feel like a tremendous failure because he's a generational I player. I uh, know, Corey, but you're again, you're applying logic. And I thought right. last week we learned about logic. Um, well, yeah, don't do anything stupid. Uh, the thing about like trading Barry is he, he, doesn't, he doesn't make that much money that it's like all of a sudden we're going to be able to get a big, big name player just for getting his money off no. the cap. So but I mean, uh, Barry is the type of player right now that, you know, Eric Stahl was coming off a not fantastic. You might free up just enough to get a player like Eric Stahl out of a trade around right. Barry. 
you know, not like you said, Taylor Hall. Sorry, Jeff. No, that's Jeff's long held dream. Oh. But, um, you know, I don't know. I, I said it. I really don't know what you're big game hunting for when you don't got no money to be big game hunting. Cause small game hunting, you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree with everything you guys said. It's going to be very difficult to make a deal, especially with that limited cap space. And uh, you will have to move out a guy like Barry. Um, I don't I don't think they will trade Barry. Um, I think the team sees him as a as a really good one year rental. He'll help out in the regular yeah. season. He'll he'll he might chip in in the playoffs. And that's all you can hope from him. Um, I, I, I think you have to look at trying to to trade a guy like like Russell, like Chris Russell. He's he, to a team to a team that has some cap space. He only has this four million deal. Um, until the end of the season so it's not that big of a commitment and then next year he has like 1.2 or something so it's not that he... big of a of a deal if you quick question is he in his no movement clause section of his contract now oh the no movement clause the thing i always overlook good point right because you want to you want to move chris russell i want to move chris russell but there's a reason i didn't say chris russell preston mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> i mean if he's not playing i'm sure it's it's probably an easier clause to waive yeah, well, he'd um, have to waive it. Yeah, so, he'd like, also he have to not him... play. <laughs> yeah, which which would be nice. I mean, let, let, yeah, let's just start with that and then see where that goes. Yeah, and then another guy I, I would have said had a higher possibility of being traded to Zach Cassian, but I think his value has been absolutely tanked since his injury. We, he was struggling before his injury. He got into a fight to spark himself, and then he's been out since that fight. So I think his value has reached an all-time low. For well, not all time low, but like in <laughs> consideration of the last few yeah. seasons, this is a this is a pretty big low point for his trade value. So you're stuck with that contract. That's gonna not help. Miko Koskinen has struggled lately. You're gonna be hard pressed to move that contract. It's just a difficult situation all around. And you see the, the other one made. is with Miko Koskinen. If you move that contract, what are you bringing in? Yeah, exactly. You, you're stuck with Mike Smith you know, as your de facto starter then. Yeah, and yeah. but also. You know, you've got Stalic this year, but like, what are you doing long term for a goalie, right? Because yeah. I don't know. It's it's a. I like position. some of the, I like some of the ones in the Oilers goalies in the Oilers system, but I don't think any of them are near ready. Yeah, right? I mean, Stuart Skinner has been looking very good, but you know, it's he's a young guy and he's do. But he's not. Oh, he was fantastic. He was a fantastic junior goalie. Mm-hmm. but i don't know we'll see right like, it's, on a, it's on a crazy heater in the nhl right now too like the condors are just playing great hockey right oh, now the mcleod Morody, and uh benson have been let's just call them up as a line they've yeah. been fantastic i think someone that's like, here's my better than fine fourth line guys there you go <laughs> maybe maybe um so yeah some of the guys they were link, linked to is ricard raquel obviously would be nice from the ducks he's struggled um i think he's on a fairly team-friendly deal so maybe you can work something out there i think ricard raquel is actually one of the more realistic trade options that the others have on the table because i don't think he makes crazy money and yeah. you could possibly move out enough combine that moving out enough money plus picks plus prospects to get him yeah. I mean, something, yeah, I something to consider for sure. I mean, I've always liked Ricardo Raquel and uh, I mean, I'm sure he's been struggling a little bit. I haven't looked into it too closely, but yeah, I mean, if you, if we can get him back on track, that's a, that's a big boost. Yeah. So the, the thing he's struggling on a, on a fairly bad Anaheim team, right? Like sure. you pull him beside McDavid and dry settle, the, the numbers are going to go up. This is pretty, pretty uh, set in stone. That will happen. Um, Shona mentioned it. Eric Stahl's another guy that's been linked to the Oilers. He would be a nice, 
third line center for sure. Perfect for third line center. Uh, an improvement on Turris, who has been pretty non-existent. Uh, you can lately. move Turris. Yeah, you can move him too. But again, <laughs> I have a question of his value because he struggled this year. And right. no one's really looking yeah, well, the, but that's the thing is the Oilers love to sell low. So we might just eat it on some, or you might end up just eating it on a couple contracts mm-hmm. to move guys out, right? Like you could trade casting. You're going to eat it on that contract though. You're not going to get their return, but come on, this is the Oilers. We've eaten it on contracts before. And like Corey said, if we've got a limited amount of time to really spruce things up to be, you know, that contender and maybe get a couple cups in McDavid's prime, you're going to have to be a little bit aggressive with moving out people who aren't doing well because they aren't doing well. Right. You can't stick them all down in the AHL, you know, there's only so much space down there. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, And then the last guy I have on my list here is Taylor Hall, which I know it's, it's a pipe dream, but uh, I'm going to keep out holding hope. They'll, the Oilers will work them some cap magic and bring Taylor Hall back home for sure. For sure. Let's see that. I mean, I just, I'd love to see it. That'd be great. Taylor Hall is like, it's just such a funny thing to me because while we was here, so many fans just disliked him. And now that he's gone, he's like this um, Oilers unicorn. <laughs> Getting him back is like, we you like know. what we can't have here. In <laughs> we right? did appreciate him when he was here and when he's gone. Well, I mean, most, a lot of people did appreciate him. I love Taylor Hall. No, sure. There's a lot of fans lot that of loved did. him. Yeah, but it, it's just it always strikes me as funny that like there's this nostalgia for Taylor Hall when when he was here, you know, there was a large part of, or a significant part of this fan base that was more than ready to run him out of town by the end of his tenure. Oh, and hey, they did it. They give credit to that crowd. Yeah. They did it. <laughs> that was a dub for them. But yeah, no, I think it's I think oh, it's yeah. just like what could have been. That's look those of us who like Taylor Hall when he was here just want to see him back so bad. And he's probably not the same player that he was when he was here. So it, it's never going to be what could have been, but I mean, you know, but we'd, we'd love like, to see it. What was Preston just saying? You, you stick him um, with McDavid or, or Dreisaitl, maybe you'll get some of that oh, The numbers back. are bound to go up. It doesn't matter who you put there. The numbers are bound we'll go to go up. up. Yeah. So look, <laughs> maybe you'll get more of that, like, kid lion haul back if you Oh, man, let's just do, do it and just put Taylor Hall, uh, Nugent Hopkins, and Puliarvi as a line. Second line. That's a great second line, right? Uh, but probably not going to happen. Probably maybe in the off season, we have a lot of money coming off the book, the books in the summer. Um, last guy. I know I said Taylor Hall was the last guy, but he's the last forward. Um, <laughs> this is a goalie out of Columbus linked to the Oilers by one of the most uh, credible people out there. Elliot Friedman said the Oilers would be interested in Elvis Mers Lincolns out of Columbus. Uh, said it was probably going to be an off season deal, but Hey, let's, let's get a little creative here. What do you guys think it would take to pry Elvis Mers Lincolns out of uh, Columbus and would it even be worth it? I'm not really sure what his value is right now, but I mean, Elvis Mers Lincolns for a stretch last season was a hell of a goaltender. So, I mean, the possibility there is that we significantly upgrade our goaltending uh, when Mike Smith inevitably regresses a little bit. Uh, and I, you know, what? I'm, I'm going to retract immediately that inevitably, because let's say he's never going to let in a goal again. I actually, I, I take that back, but uh, yeah, no, it'd be great uh, to get the good Merzlikens, but like I've said before on our only other episode of this podcast, I don't know anything about goaltending and he could, he could just be a bad goalie now. So I don't know. Yeah, I know I wrote an article okay. a week ago here 
and his numbers were a lot better than they are now. He's got a four, three and two record and a nine Oh eight save percentage. He's also 26 years old. So he's still a fairly young by goalie standards. It's a voodoo position. It's you don't want there to, are no, run, right? there are no bad goalies. There are goalies that are by turn good and bad. So, you know, you cannot like, this is the yin and yang. You cannot mm. have the good goalie without the bad goalie, Corey. It, does, it right? doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what. I thought you'd all learn this with Mike Smith. <laughs> Take heart trophy carry price and not bad carry price, please. <laughs> I think the Oilers could trade for any goalie in the league right now. And it doesn't matter who it is. It's a risk because you don't know yeah. what goalie you're going to get. Like, uh, I, I like to use uh, Bobrovsky as an example. For a few years there in Columbus, he was a Vesna winner. Then he was not that great. Then the next season, he was a Vesna winner, and then he was not that great. He just kept going back and forth, and that's kind of what goalies are. And I think Elvis Merzlinkins is a good bet on having him. He's a young goalie. He could. He's a good bet to be your future goalie for a few more seasons. But at the same time, you have no idea. He could just be complete trash when he comes here, right? Well, I think the other sure. thing to consider is, um, like, if you look at him, how well does his style fit with the the styles of the Oilers goalie coaches, right? Because if you bring in a goalie and then you put them with a coach that is just not a goalie coach that's just not a good fit, then they they have worse performances, right? They can't figure out um, like anyone, like you know, you it's the same for forwards and defense. If you're if the people that are telling or talking to you and, and telling you how to improve your game, what they're telling you doesn't make any sense. You're not going to get any better. Right. So it's worth a look for the Oilers. I think that they have to be careful. Like what, um, and look at like kind of some of those, and I'm sure they will knock on wood. Um, some of those fundamental pieces of like, what styles of goalie, you know, what style does he play? Like, how would that work with the team? Like if you were to bring him in, what kind of, um, you know, like, would it be, it would, it would be as your backup. So, you know, what are you risking there? And, you know, um, how would that work with Koskinen and, and all of those things, right? Like, it's not, you like, for all that it seems like it's a voodoo position, like, mo- like most of hockey, there's some weird numbers, math, science crap behind it that someone smarter than me needs to go look at to see if he's a good fit for the Oilers. And if, numbers math science smart person says yes and go for it you know yeah yeah for sure and uh you, you gotta be sure you don't get, get taken to the cleaners in a trade you know columbus is going to be looking for <laughs> for edmonton's young forwards young defensemen i think they'd be interested in you can't give up a philip roberg for for a goalie you can't give up a i would be even reluctant giving up Raphael lavoy on on forward for a goalie it's just it's too risky um, they have to make a move there. I, I hope they'd be able to do it more in free agency, although I'm scared of what a contract for a goalie would look like for a team that's desperate for one, just like a Calgary with the Markstrom contract. Not my not my cup of tea. All right, so um, that's going to do it for all our main topics today. I want to talk Hey, but a good segue bit. into Calgary. Yeah, I know. I was trying to find a segue there. Um, we just had one. I Markstrom. know. <laughs> they interrupted it. Jonah, come on. I'm on a roll here. No, you're not. <laughs> Oh, okay, keeping me humble. All right, so the Oilers, they open up a two-game series against the Calgary Flames this weekend. The Flames are rolling right now with Daryl Sutter behind the bench. They have two straight wins against the Montreal Canadiens. Can the Oilers counter this new-look Flames? I think they can. 
they've looked good against the Flames all year. I don't think the Flames changed all that much. I think they just faced a struggling Montreal team. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, Montreal was a team that impressed me quite a bit at the start of the season, and they are just not looking very good right now. And part of that could be the Flames, like, especially since they just got Sutter, the new coach. I mean, you're showing off for the new guy. Daryl yeah, Sutter has always effect. been a pretty good Yeah, exactly. Like, they, there's something to a new coach where they just play hard because, uh, you know, everyone wants to get in his good books before he starts making up his mind about who he likes and who he doesn't like. Um, so, like, the Flames, I think, are still a pretty talented roster. Uh, they're, they're not a pushover by any means. They're better than their record indicates. But, I mean, yeah, the Oilers can take the flame. Sure, they're going to kick their ass. <laughs> You're saying the right things. You're saying yeah. the correct thing here. I don't know. I mean, I always hesitate to say definitively – because I don't trust the Oilers. Um, like, their hope that they do quite well against the Flames. Like, I know that, like Corey was saying, the Flames are doing, you know, their utmost to impress their new coach. And I still remember how great Toronto was when they switched out their coaches for a little bit. Um, but I still think that, you know, the key for the Oilers is to play a, a solid, consistent game and get as many points as they can. So, like, if they if they don't win to push it to overtime to get a, a point like um i think that that like for me more for me in this series with the flames more important than victories is consistent play right because i think um consistent play will lead to victories you know as we continue to go even like with the vancouver series game last night it's not you know we didn't win but we played pretty consistently and we we looked pretty good for most parts of it and i think um the same with calgary um, that's what I'd really like to see, you know, obviously beat Calgary. I hate losing to Calgary. I hate losing to Toronto. Actually, I hate losing to most of the teams in the North. Losing's not a, great. It's just not a thing. I don't see what all the fuss is about. I've never. Well, it's just because it. we've done it for so long, Corey. We're, you know, yeah. we're, like, we're over this. We've done this for a decade. <laughs> we're all numb. We're all numb uh, at this point. But like, I think that, uh, if they do lose, not to say that I think they will, but if they do, if they played a good game and they lose, that'd be something I'd still be really happy with. Like that consistent play, that strong play, you know? Yeah. I think, I think um, I the schedule kind of helped them out here. They had that Toronto series where they lost three in a row. Sorry to, to make you guys think of that again, because we've been talking about that forever. It seems like now, but then the next week they had that three game set against Ottawa to rebound and get their confidence back. And it showed in their play against Vancouver that that confidence is still running high. They might not have gotten the win, but they, they probably should have. It was a game they should have won. And going into Calgary, it's, it's, it's hard not to get motivated, I'm sure, as a player for the Oilers when you go against Calgary. So I think they're going to wrap that game up even more. They understand that they got a new coach and that, that they're playing for that new coach. But I think they'll rise to the occasion and, and put up a good fight against the Flames. They're 3-1 and one against them this year. There's no reason to believe the Flames have their number at all. Um, the one thing I do worry about with Calgary is, uh, is, is what we ran into with Thatcher Demko. Like what if Jacob Markstrom gets on, on a roll here? And I know I, I banged that, uh, that Markstrom contract earlier, but you know, he will be a good goalie in the first few years. It's the latter years I worry about. So just hoping that Markstrom is, uh, the Markstrom we've seen all year for against us. Right. Sure. Yep. I mean, I, uh, I think the Flames will be an interesting team to play. At the very least, there'll be some potential for fireworks. There's always some potential for fireworks. Oh, it's the Battle of Alberta. Mm -hmm. You love to see it, right? 
Well, not always. Stop punching each other in the head. <laughs> it's the head trauma. Don't love to see head trauma. Um, but uh, I think that, you know, the the potential for fireworks and that potential for a really hotly contested game always brings out the best in the Oilers. So, you know, hot goalie or not, I think they might, uh, knock on wood, just rise to the occasion, even if Markstrom's playing a good game. As long as they get, you know, a decent game out of their goalies, like, you watched that game last night. If you watched that game last night between Calgary and Montreal, like Montreal was not great, but some of those goals were not great either. So, uh, you know, if uh, our goalie can keep, whichever goalie it is, can keep the, uh, the puck out of the net just a little bit, I think that they'll do pretty well. I think so. Uh, hopefully uh, this time next week, we'll be talking about two Euler wins against the Flames. That's going to do it for a second episode of the official Copper and Blue podcast. You can follow we me on Twitter. We still need a name. We, still, we do need a name. Copper and Blue official name. podcast is, is a little weird to say. So we need an unofficial name. We're probably going to put this out on Twitter this week. I think Matt already has last week. We got some good ones. Uh, someone said UCP United Copper podcast or something like that. Which I I'm heard, sure would um, be a popular name here. Be, uh, Burning oil. That one I quite liked. Burning oil. We do t- uh, tend to burn the oil quite a bit here. Um, uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, we're going to be doing this every Sunday we record, and on Mondays we will be uploading. We have a plan now. It's fun to get this. Uh, it's exciting to get this underway, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.